Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to look at back on everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite and NXT, but also Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and a stacked show. Michael Sidgwick, how did it go for you? Um, I really, really loved it. I really loved it in the moment of watching it. I loved the range of the matches. There was a slight nagging part of me that thought maybe the match graphic, that incredible like composite graphic of what the show looked like, my goodness, maybe it didn't quite reach the potential of that that I generated in my head. And yet, I love the experience of watching it. There were several great matches. Um, one immaculate promo. And I thought it was a nine. I'm lowering myself down to an eight, 8.5. But like, this is what you want. This is absolutely what you want. Yeah, I, re- I would say about the same. I really enjoyed this as a two-hour thing, if not on a par with like the WrestleMania 17 expectations that graphic could suddenly give me. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ, like I know we'd laboured on it on the preview and a lot of those match graphics individually already existed, but pulling it all together like that, God almighty. Um, I, it probably doesn't get said enough about Dynamite because it, this happens most weeks. But whilst I may have had um, a couple of things I, I didn't like as much on this review, uh, in this episode, and we'll get to them on the review, like these two hours still fly, like they absolutely fly. Um, and not in that way that was happening a few weeks ago, where it almost felt a little bit TNA in the way it flew. It's like, right, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Nothing has really any time to land. Nothing resonates in the way it does. This was different. The stuff they profiled here did resonate. And yet the episode still flew by. And I'm interested in just about every character they presented. There was a big difference to me here between their attempt to present, what was that crazy number? like 82 characters or something that one week, like versus, and I haven't counted, versus how many characters they presented here. I felt like I was seeing a lot of people, but it was a far more polished way of presenting them all um, than, than a few weeks back when they were, they were shoehorning a lot and almost too much. 
yeah, I, I, it, this absolutely flew by for me as well. I felt almost guilty because there was a bit where there's almost a point where I was like, can we have something that I'm not interested in now just so I have time <laughs> to, to pause and take in what's already happened? It was just so like you say, we already knew what to expect with the, the pre-advertised car, but I was like, oh yeah, that's still to come. Oh my God, we've still got this. And then obviously then we knew what the main event was going to be. But let's start at the beginning of the show uh, as anticipated. The show opened with Hangman Page versus Ricky Starks. So good to see Ricky Starks back wrestling on Dynamite, of course. Uh, almost didn't see him wrestle ever again uh, as a result of this match. Uh, initially, Hangman Page takes control. Uh, Starks manages to wrestle it back from him by sending him throat first into the middle rope. And then Hangman Page suplexes Ricky Starks and... I mean, he lands on his head, doesn't he? Yes, he lands on his feet as well, but he lands on his head and neck. And I thought, well, that's the last time I'll ever watch Ricky Starks wrestle again. But he, unbelievably, and he's accredited this to uh, DDP Yoga's uh, flexibility that it's given him, it was seemingly fine uh, and just tweeted as much as I said uh, after the fact. He then immediately springboarded into a lariat. And then I, I genuinely don't know, Sige, if he's actually buggered his ankle or not. He sold it so well struggled to um, string my thoughts together on this match. My blanket statement for I've just drawn on is that it was probably the worst version of a Ricky Starks versus Hangman Page match I can think of because things went awry. It was probably too short to get over the idea that oh, Starks is a major player. He worked a big feature match at Revolution. Like He's obviously fantastic. I think nine minutes was a little bit too short to like do him justice in effect. And yet it was still great. Mm, yeah. There were still so many awesome things in this match that on the whole was great. It just felt like there were moments of hesitation. There were obviously moments where because of the two things that maybe I didn't happen to Starks resulted in a bit of, are we ready for the next spot? Like, are you okay? Um, so the flow of it was broken up, which I was a little bit down on, but you know, circumstances being what they are. Um, and yet, like the first 60 seconds of this goddamn match, Ricky Starks reached out, like a really long reach for a punch. And just at the hangman page, the knackman, at the last millisecond, he put his jaw back and then launched forward with a big reaching punch that actually landed. Just the, the sense of struggle and how they timed it in the swing of momentum was just unbelievable. Um, Ricky Starks does this goddamn spot that pops me every time. When he does the drop down, he covers his face like because he's so pretty that he <laughs> want to press that on the mat. He's just too pretty. Like, he does this kind of, and he does it so quickly as well and seamlessly. It's just unbelievable. Like the powerbomb spot was awesome. You forget how strong Ricky Starks is. Ricky Starks has got this quality about him where he's such an unbelievable all-rounder that when you see him emphasize every last bit of what he can do, counter stuff, like, lift people up who he shouldn't have any right to lift and drill them to the mat. He's just an awesome performer. And even in a somewhat snake bit match, I still loved him. Yeah. That, on, the, on the ankle note, sorry, quickly, um, Hamflip, before I get your thoughts. All the way through that match, and I'm pretty good at determining actual selling, I'd like to think. But at the same time, I like to lose myself in it if the performance is good enough. I'm thinking... Ah, uh, it's such a shame that he's hurt his ankle here because it's disrupting the flow of the match. And obviously, it leaned and formed the finish mm. where Hangman grabbed his ankle. So one of two things has happened here. 
both of which are brilliant. Either Ricky Starks put on the selling performance of 2021, or Hang On Page is so great that he thought, I can caveat for this. I can put an asterisk, I, I can explain mm-hmm. the loss that he's just suffered and protect him somewhat by just gently tugging on his ankle to really like lean back and cinch in that submission. I don't know which one of those two things they are, but both of which are great. Yeah, I love the reversals in this match, the bit where he got Starks up for a dead eye and then he used the ropes to get out of it all. Page goes for a buckshot lariat, Starks dodges it, hits a spear. And then, yeah, the finish, which sees uh, Page wrench on that ankle and immediately just for once has someone submit immediately because it's not like, oh, is the pain too much? Is that Yeah, it is. My ankle's buggered. I'm going to tap out immediately because otherwise I might never walk again. I love that. Uh, and like you say, I can, I'm completely with, there with you, Sige. I was like, wait, so was he selling or was, was he there? They just adapted it. I, I thought the finish to this was, was spectacular, Hamlet. Yeah, I, the finish was amazing. I loved, um, I think personally, while we're sort of posing the question, I think the ankle was the sell. And, mm. and the intention and everything else was sort of the accident or the near accident in this case. Snake, but what Sidgwick said, and that would kind of, that feels like my overarching feeling of this match. There was a couple of points after Stark's near miss where they they just looked and felt on different pages. And that's understandable, but you can't help that it takes you out of the match temporarily. And it did. There's a couple of times where like, I understand it. You know, you're going to lose focus or you're going to have worry or you're going to have concern. Like, what can we go ahead with? That we had planned, whereas I do think the ankle was part of that. Um, AW have done this over and over and over again, and it always works. Cody Rhodes, John Moxley, there will be more. You give a guy a secondary submission that also becomes a potential winning hold, a finisher. Um, yesterday, uh, we talked about this match and Hangman Page's rise up the rankings, and Cedric noted that Starks might be the perfect guy to sort of legitimise Page's ranking number. Yeah, he's number one, and the commentators are hitting that really hard to let us know that, probably to let us know because the match isn't coming, that Kenny Omega's ducking him. I think that's the story. I don't think that it's Page's next. I think it's that Page is getting all these wins and Omega just will not even make eye contact with him. What's that about? I think that's the the story here. Um, But that finish in particular said to me, could they go for Page versus Moxley and that be Hangman Page's big win, the legitimising win, the the quality win at some point down down the road that gives Hangman Page that sort of, right, he's beating the ex champion it's the next champion now. Like the, like giving him any kind of submission is that cool AW trick of adding a weapon that we previously didn't know about. But giving him one, I appreciate the ankle was part of the world, but giving him that kind of like a, a chokehold akin to John Moxley's almost like frees you up for a singles match that further legitimizes Hangman Pages as the next guy, as the man. Um, it's another combination they've not really gone to as well. That, that's what that made me think of. Um, minor criticism here, because they've never done this before, um, and you, you sometimes have to take your chances. I didn't think this was a good night for Hook, and they've never gotten Hook wrong before. But I just thought the attack looked pretty funny. His and I don't know, how, yeah, I don't know how much that is like. Oh, Taz's kid is weak compared to Hangman Page, but then yeah. he's, he's not looked weak when he's been throwing guys around. <laughs> so that that like they're not going to get it right with him every week. But I thought that exposed him a little bit. Yeah, the stamps did. The stamps looked like someone who's learning how to wrestle, and that's precisely what Hook is. But yeah, perfect point. They've measured it um, perfectly so far, and that was exposed him a little bit. But you know, he is what he is at this point, like a heater, like a little bastard of a heater. Um, hmm. It didn't look that effective. I know Ricky Starks has been working frequently on dark and elevation. TV's a completely different thing. 
is the fact that there was a botch in this match that informed the only slightly underwhelming quality of it more evidence that, and I, I know I beat this drum every single week, Ricky Starks needs to be a television wrestler mm-hmm. and he needs to wrestle at least every other week. Um, because maybe things like this happen, these miscommunications, he's um, the wavelength issue, as Hamfler pointed out. Hangman Page is on telly every week and he's wrestling far more on telly than Ricky Starks. Would this have been a far better match if Ricky Starks was on TV most weeks, which is different to Dark Elevation with all due respect? And is that not an argument in favor of streamlining this roster to a degree? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so post-match, as you uh, alluded to, we had Taz grabbing a mic, shouting to Paige, saying that he got lucky. Hook, chop blocks him, beats him down. Brian Cage comes out and sets up for a power one, but the Dark Order makes the save. We get a shot of the Elite arriving at their own personal trailer. More on that later. And then we got uh, Penta versus Trent. And I know I should talk more about the wrestling, but I also want to mention how much, quite clearly, Alex Abrahantes is bloody loving his new role. You, I just looked at his little face when they had the little, you know, picture in picture of like beforehand of him saying, I think they, they were going to turn Orange Cassidy into Orange Juice or whatever it was. And he was, I was watching him when Penta was yelling threats down the camera because I love Alex so much and I'm fascinated to see what they do with this. Um so the match, uh, they brawl into the outside. Uh, Penta throws Pet Trent into it. Trent just pops back up. Lariat, tope to him. Uh, Trent's getting set up with a bloody package pile driver. I've seen many of them hit very up close in WCBW. You, yeah, understandably, he wanted to fight out that. He hit a tornado DDT, uh, but then Penta pops up, pops off the ropes and hits the destroyer as you go into the break. Uh, Penta then later on hits a backstabber for a two count and a pump handle driver for a for a great near fall as well. They are exchanging chops on the apron. Trent hits a bloody pile driver. And Alex Abraham is the real star of the show. He uh, he gets on the mic. He uh, and he yells that uh, not only does Trent suck and his friend sucks, but Michael Sidgwick, how dare you say this, his mama sucks. Trent obviously snaps, grabs a chair, goes after Alex Abrahantes, who gets into the ring. Looks like uh, Orange Cassidy's uh, kind of covered his escape. They've got him trapped, but then Penta comes in, hits uh, Orange Cassidy with a super kick. The referee distracts himself with taking the chair out of the ring, and that allows Alex Abrahantes to uh, hit Trent with a microphone, and Penta picks up the win. Hamflet, what did you think of this? I loved it, man. I loved it. Um, death triangle, and not a triangle either, because... Uh, Penta and Alex Abrahantes are a new line. Like they've just taken themselves away from these high flying baby faces to become absolute staring arseholes. Um, AEW is a meritocracy and long may it stay that way because I feel like in the preview yesterday I talked up more about what Alex Abrahantes would do than the match itself. And then look what we had because that guy is getting himself over and not just as like a good talker in that old fashioned managerial sense, but showing you that maybe a missing piece of the Penta puzzle was. A mouthpiece like him mm. um maybe that's an, an addressing of um something that we talked about before about how there is absolutely nothing wrong with an interpreter helping guys that haven't got as like tight a grasp of the english language if anything it creates um more of a balance between those that do and those that don't and it shows you that it isn't the end of the world if penta isn't quite as polished on a promo as you know somebody else and i just I, I really love this i think i can imagine the finish divided a few people mm-hmm. like it, it may be like it may be bordered on sports entertainment, but I'm an advocate for creative sports entertainment. 
Like, it's probably the brand of pro wrestling that hooked me on it in the first place. And I, that's what I count this as. I found this very creative. Um, it was nice. This, I, if I was critical of anything, I would say you maybe take a couple of minutes off this and dish it out to the opener or possibly somewhere else because it felt like it dragged on a little bit for the story that they were trying to tell, which is basically to get the Abrahantas and Penteract over. That, that was ultimately what this match existed for. And the, like, dare I say it, the terrifying apron bumps were the set dressing for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, as, a, as an overall presentation, I really enjoyed this. And I think it's what you use the best friends for as well. Um, I see Penter as a guy that can eventually win titles. Best friends should be there, full of character, full of things like Sue and Orange Cassidy and all this stuff to help get Penter along. This was fun. Not particularly artful, but fun. What I love about Penta is that in order to build to the package pile driver, it just works over the head. It just works <laughs> over the head with these like really disgusting moves. Um, again, Penta's so great. Everyone like, it's shocking, but it's also like fair enough, just raves constantly about how great Phoenix is. But that transition at the creative destroyer and the creative destroyer, that's what you might as well have called it, the Canadian <laughs> destroyer, yeah. was like just phenomenal. Like that. I love when I get popped by that move. It's a very easy move to pop people, but when you get the double, like, oh, that was a main way of doing it, pop, awesome. Not for the first time in recent weeks, I'm going to get slightly cornet on this match. As fun as it was, without being particularly artful, I was, and I've got so much latitude for this kind of action. I just do, particularly now when you watch the Christian match later on, because it's now like it becomes part of a range and not part of like an oppressive in house style. There was one DDT that Trenches didn't sell at all. Like 10 seconds later, he's back on offense. And it's like, it's bad enough to some when you get kicked out of a good one. But I just thought that was like flagrant, like almost piss taking. Um, but yeah, I love the whole act. Your mom jokes are what they are and what they are is terrible. But the genius here is that we know who Trent's mom is. It's just legitimately one of the most delightful people. Like her appearances on being the elite, like there's such warmth. Like even in storyline, she's positioned as just someone's lovely man. But like you've seen her on being the elite, she is this she is her? She is this lovely woman. Don't say that she sucks. <laughs> now I want to see best friends come back and you know, that's just classic babyface heel stuff. Um, but yeah, the match while fun was almost too fun, even for fun, love, and so drinking. Everyone knows I just love to have fun. That's my that's my move. <laughs> Right, uh, on to something next that I guarantee almost that Sidgwick had fun with, and that was the pinnacle sitting down with Jim Ross. Oh, my word. Uh, so they sit down. Uh, Jericho talks about the, the promo. Sorry, MJF talks about the promo that Jericho cut a couple of weeks ago. Uh, said, said about his scarf. He said, I've been wearing this for years, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, my, my old scarf's a bit you know old and ragged. And then Wardlow reveals that he's been gifted a new one that looks sensational from uh, Tully Blanchard. Uh, and then Wardlow steps up. Oh, my days. Oh, my word. He says, uh, yeah, Jericho, you cut a, cut a good promo. Um, but I couldn't help but notice you kind of stuttered and stammered when you mentioned my name because you knew that was a mistake. Um, MJF talks about Jericho not elevating the talent around him, the Jericho rub. Uh, he said he surrounds himself with Bs, so he looks like an A, and then he wrestles As, so he doesn't look like a B. Good stuff. Uh, he said uh, Jericho's outsmarted everyone in his career except himself, and then he just snaps. He says he's not just great for his age; he is great. 
period. You know, Jericho talked about him wrestling people like Nakazawa and what have you. He said, well, can I have a notice? I'm undefeated and I've already beaten you, which means I'm better than you and you know it. And he said, you know what, Chris? I am a mark, but I'm not a mark for you. I'm a mark for your spot because that's what I'm coming for. Blood and guts, the pinnacle will always finish on top. Oh, my word, Michael Sidgwick, what a promo this was for both MJF and I want to give a special mention to Wardlow as well. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff. Here's the thing about the pinnacle, right? If you want to be cynical about it, tell that these are four lads, maybe Wardlow. He's a mystery. I love, I love Wardlow being a mystery. I don't want to know that much about him. But you've got at least four lads here who love JCP, right? You can tell by the way they're dressed. You can tell by the, the jet that JCP flew around America to essentially give them monopoly to WWE, you stupid idiots. If you've just not done jet stuff and done your good <laughs> stuff, I might not have had to watch Raw for the past five years <laughs> of my life in a professional capacity, God damn it. So there is this potential, potential air of cosplay around the pinnacle. You only have to listen to their music to like get the vibes. A promo like this from goddamn MJF just lances that idea because it's actual big star top pro stuff is far removed from i don't want to like la united let's face it right this is the difference and on the subject of differences right here's a goddamn difference about this company between this company and wwe as i predicted literally seconds after these things happened on twitter on wrestlemania night one those pretty good natural promos that were cut in panic during the rain delay at WrestleMania 37 night one, right? I knew for a fact they were going to do this and they have in fact subsequently done it. They've removed them from the network, even though people enjoyed them under what I've described in the past is WWE's incredibly ironic quest for perfection. Everything has to be perfect. The matches have to be laid out in advance so they're just so. The scripts have to be written on behalf of the talents so they're just so. Michael Cole's transitions have to be slick and slick and slick, right? to make everything just so. Everything sucks, but to them, it's <laughs> just so. AE Goddamn W, in just tremendous contrast, takes the one flub from an incredible Chris Jericho promo, right? The one flub. And what they've done with that is they've added yet another layer of goddamn juice to this blood and guts match because what's going to happen now is that there'll be a confrontation between Wardlow and Jericho in this match that you would have probably got hype for in itself, before this, but now they've just, just deftly oh. laid the thread that Chris Jericho is going to look at Wardlow and think, I'm going to show ass for him because he's enormous and I'm a little bit scared of him because this is canon now. Just unbelievable stuff. And I'll tell you what else I adored about this incredible promo is I'm kind of with MJF. This is a deeper cut. Then talking about his, I know he's like his pot belly or his pecs. This is deeper cut than a fat joke because there is very, if you look at Orange Cassidy and the Chris Jericho feud, I was entertained for much of it. And I think their first match at Fighter Fest was a really well done classic pro wrestling match. Not like a classic, like an excellent classically arranged pro wrestling match. I don't think Orange Cassidy was a particularly bigger star emerging from it, right? Than he was. I don't think Chris Jericho is quite the succubus that just makes himself look good. It's not quite Triple H level, but there's an accusation to be made. And the fact that MGF made it was just absolute chef's kiss. Like, 
he's trying to piss his opponent off to add juice to this, and he struck upon something deeper than a fat joke, and I thought it was unreal. At the time, at exactly the right time when they needed to get serious as well, because it does... This erased a lot of my complaints about the way the Pinnacle have been presented thus far. This was super polished. This was serious. This was dangerous. You know, there was a like there was a danger in the air amongst these men that has pretty much been missing since MJF did his like mimicking of Jericho's introduction of the Inner Circle and he brought them out, you know, kind of like talk them up one by one. I don't think the Pinnacle felt dangerous. I thought they felt dangerous here. And I think so much of that was down to MJF and, and Wardlow's words. On air, like Cedric's covered everything brilliant there. So I, I don't have much to add in terms of just the, the quality of what was being said. But just on the acknowledgement of the Jericho flub and how they've used that for Wardlow's benefit, what that does away from this storyline and indeed away from all kayfabe is just further, like, and always do this, further remind AW, uh, AW fans that this product is connected to the real world, that it's connected to how fans feel and what fans think and what fans remember. Like, you don't have to overtly say, we are with you and we are listening, but you show it through moments like this. You know that if something goes wrong in a match, there's a hell of a chance that it'll be acknowledged in a future match or in a promo like this. This is not the first time they've done this, you know? Um, you knew it was really, really embarrassing, humiliating even, and they'll they'll suffer the consequences of this in different ways over the years. But the exploding ring thing, you knew it would be something. You know, yeah. Whatever that something was, you knew it would be something. And I think that this was just another example of that. It wasn't even necessary. You know, Jericho cuts this promo that's so brilliant that nobody really cares about the flow. I remember was reviewing that and being like, ah, it's a bit of a shame, but never mind. Like 99 out of 100 is still a 99. Um, they've taken that one and still made it still made it count and still just everything that you do, like keep this bond with your audience, keep a trust with your audience. It's stuff like that. That establishes that rather than saying we will do better or we will do this they just show it and i like i love that because they found a one like i think people had given him a pass and they've still thought well that's not entirely given a pass if we can use it creatively it makes you think that if you get a, just an egregious botch in a match like it won't be slept on mm. or it won't become a figure of embarrassment against the company here's a difference as well there's yet another difference i'm going to make between um AEW spots in WWE is that if it was a more glaring botch, WWE would revel in it, like the spiteful, horrible people they are, and on screen bury the person for doing a botch. It's happened like frequently, countless times. AEW recognized that and think, right, how can we build something productive from it? Right. Not just make your talent look like a complete tit on mm-hmm. national TV. How can we add just yet another thread of intrigue to this unbelievable looking blood and guts match. They fell over. Hey! <laughs> they fell over. <laughs> Should we do an angle about it? Oh, we're taking it off the main cut. The angle's done now. She fell over as well. <laughs> Everybody's cluts. God damn it. Nia Jax is Sid James' face as well. She can get in the absolute <laughs> <thing> with that. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Anyway, on to the uh, AW Women's World Championship match. And Michael Hamlet, was this the best match take on he's had in AW ever? <laughs> uh, yes, it was, um, but built off a run that warranted it. Like this was so great, man. Like they just we talked about this yesterday about like needing to bite on a couple of two counts. Like they worked the asses off to get there. Um, the the women's division project is unfinished, and that's all right. But the Shida like no story or match problem remains, and yet they found it here. Like, fair enough, like, you got a really good road to you. But, like, this story didn't feel like it was particularly well told on television. It was Ty Conti's, like, rising through the ranks. So they used that instead. They sh- Like, this was this was a celebration of Ty Conti's progression, even in defeat, because that's how much she's progressed. She's progressed from virtually nothing in NXT to, like, getting within a whisper of the AW Women's title. And the feeling is she'll get there next time. There'll be another day for this babyface act. Um... Shida is probably <laughs> she's there wearing a, a title belt for this like second biggest promotion in North America, and I would dare say at this point she's underrated because she gives and gives and gives in these title matches. Again, when it tends to be that stories aren't told, um, the pump kick to set up the uh, TKO. Maybe dial back the puns a little bit, but the pump kick to set up the TKO was just like my. Like, Are you kidding it. me? She's look, uh, look. I'm just saying because there's like three in one match. Just like pick one and stick with it. There was the DDT. No, no, I'll, have my... I'll have it from anybody else, pal. I'm not from <laughs> you. DDK, DDT followed by the TKO. Just felt like a bit of repetition that I couldn't. My head couldn't take. Um, but yeah, like that pump kick to set up that particular two count. I was just like, she is amazing. She is absolutely amazing because not to say that like Tycon is um, like delivery isn't awesome, but sometimes that sort of stuff is only as good as the person taking it. And Sheeta, Christ, she committed to this. Like, I really, really love this. Um, maybe, like, to sort of reference Sidgwick's point about the Trent match, the Trent and Penta match, this was very artful. Like, there was a real elegance to the delivery of, like, like, ty, like ty Conti's big moments and Sheeta's, like, kickouts and stuff. Like, there was a real art to this. Um, they're, they're just, they're getting there. They are absolutely getting there with this women's division. What I would love now is for Conti to have a story. Like, the best thing they can do with this is have Conti have a story. Like, because we know that Britt Baker is going to be Sheeta's next challenger. Like, this is a perfect match to give Conti a story of redemption because she can't just be another statistic of a woman that has a title shot and then disappears into the distance. Mm. She's now got to go off and do something else to show that, oh, I came so close. Right, how can I better myself to make sure I cross the line the next time? Because that's what, like, this match 
deserves. That's what the work is deserving. Yeah, I say I say the best match he's ever had in AEW. Best match he's ever had, basically. <laughs> I mean, that goes I've seen that yeah. absolutely last <laughs> Um so just run through what happened yeah. before I get your thoughts, Sige. Uh oh God, sweet Jesus, that bit where Shida gets played after getting judo thrown and suplexed all over the place by by Conti. Uh, she then get, like, places on the ropes and hits a bloody scent on. Uh, Conti goes for the DDT. Shida counters with a knee and falcon arrow. Uh, then she then Conti stops Shida from hitting Tamashida. They fight up top and then Shida drops her with that. I think it was called the Witch's Shot on the turn. Yeah. What I really liked about this, and I got this in the main event as well, was just the real sense of struggle that I got. Like you say, I. I went into both matches thinking, I think there's going to be two title retentions here. I just wanted that. Even if it, it, I didn't necessarily bite on an earful, and I did for the take AO, I just wanted that sense of, oh, they're really, you know, the, 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 the challenge is really, you know, scratching and clawing as much as they can. Um, so yeah, she goes for the Katana, pump kick, take AO, near fall. Uh, then she hits a backbreaker and the Katana looked great. That did to uh, retain. And then post-match as we called in, I should give credit as well to, to Andy Murray who booked this on Twitter yesterday. Immediately have one, two, three, out comes Britt Baker, just updates the, the win-loss rankings and goes, oh look, I'm the number one contender. DMD, screw you, Shida. See you later, sort of thing. Uh, Sige, that's the sense that you probably didn't didn't really like this match. It was absolutely great. Just, <laughs> on that, just a note while it's in my head on the post-match. If anyone says, oh, out in the entranceway, but NXT, that, no. What happens in NXT is that some random person comes on the entranceway and does a thing. This is all germane to a dovetailing story between these three women. And I love that because it's so rare in the CW women's division. Yeah, I don't know whether whether I noticed this or whether they'd done some other stuff, but I, I, I feel like this match started and they went, let's update you on the AEW dark results. And the first thing I saw was Britt Baker wins. So I was like, well, there that is. So yeah, great stuff. All, all rolled into one, Sid. It happened. The thing that I wanted to happen, happened. <laughs> what happens usually in these really strong showcase performances from Ty Conti is that she'll do an explosive... Where did this come from? Like stiff looking, frenzied, I want to win a fight striking game within the first three minutes and her matches because she's not yet at that level. And see like peak before the finish in this exhilarating, this like incredibly marketable woman, I will say this diplomatically, this incredibly marketable telegenic woman has just beat out someone and it's electrifying and it's awesome. And then they kind of fall apart because she hasn't learned how to properly build a match. This built and built and built and built and built. This felt like a fight the whole way. The excitement ramped up. The suspense ramped up. She got it absolutely perfectly in how to construct the match. Obviously, much of that has to do with Sheeta and the agents and all the rest of it. But like, this is unmistakably a Ty Conti match in a Ty Conti style. And that is, again, the difference between WWE and AEW. And it was just wonderful to see it realized throughout like an actual great match and not just a, a sh- like an eye-opening performance. Um, what I loved about the near fall from the um, Taikyo wasn't just that in that moment you thought, oh Christ, she's going to win here because that's a finish. They built beyond that in this match because when she set up for the DD tie and got rushed into the turnbuckle, like rushed is the word because you got that feeling of oh, mm-hmm. she's going to, she's actually going to do it. Not just the, oh, I thought that, kind of, I was on the hook for that. I got the rush of, oh, she's actually going to do it if she hits a daily tie. And then you got it taken out of your lungs when she got posted. The Witcher shot looked great. So much of this looked great. There were, however, elements where 
some of it looked a little bit weak and a little bit hesitant, but like the more matches she has of this caliber, and as Hanfield points out, she needs to have more of them because they've got the perfect opponent. And dare I say it, they've got the second, like Britt Baker's going to win the gold. I'll have Ty Conti take it off Baker. That's what this kind of match did. Um, and if she has enough matches like this or even off this level, when that time comes, she'll be somewhere near the finished article. And that is going to be like a game changer in women's wrestling. Uh, we had a brief uh, video from Miro saying he's still pissed off with Kip Sabian and he's uh, still deciding which title he's going to go after next. Uh, the only yeah, the only question is who he's going to murder, effectively. Uh, and then we got the sit-down, or the stand-up, I should say, in the ring between uh, Tony Schiavone and the inner circle. Um, Jericho doesn't want to talk about what's been said by MJ, understandably, what's been said by MJF earlier on. Uh, he just thanks the crowd. He promotes blood, blood and guts. Jake Hager pulls out some straws and said, I think he technically said, you're going to be sucking your own meat through a straw. Um, talking about people getting their jaws wired shut um, before and after blood and guts. Um, Santana thought he was great as well. Got the mic and said, uh, the pinnacle always waits till they got back up before they have a fight. In his words, that's a bitch move. Uh, and on May 5th, we're going to see if the pinnacle has heart. Uh, Jericho continued talking about MJF talking and talking and talking, but his lack of conviction. He said, look, MJF, you can sing show tunes on Rosie O'Donnell, but, you know, I can sing show tunes as well. And he wrote a little song for MJF. And I think it went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of went, did he botch that? And then I thought, I'll just double check that before we before we do the podcast. Oh, my word. It, it was painful, this. So, his name is little Jacob Freeman Max. His head looks like a troll, and that's a fact. Oof, okay, I'll allow that. It's, a, it's off rhyme, but okay. He's such a dipsh, and you know it's true. And I went, okay, well, that final line has to just be flushing his head down the loo. And presumably that's what's going through Chris Jericho's mind, but he just couldn't get the line. But lose so, an English thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, well, I, I don't know where he was going because he, what he actually said was, I shoved his head down the toilet and uh, flushed it down. <laughs> and then he just went, I gave him a swirly. And that kind of recovered it all. Got a swirly chat and what have you. Uh, he said he washed his ass with MJF's new scarf. Uh, and he said, even though it's fun to make jokes, uh, Blood and Guts is going to be a show of violence. We will never, never, never forget. Uh, and next week, there's going to be a parlay uh, between the inner circle and the pinnacle to discuss sort of, you know, battle plans, etc. And the and concluded by saying the inner circle owns MJF's ass. Sid, before I get your thoughts on what he said, was I the only one who thought I think Ortiz might turn at Blood and Guts? I just I, I got this air from him where I was like. He's the only one, you know, I know it was very brief that you had Hager hoying straws about and Santana talking about, you know, bitch moves. And I think Sammy Guevara translated what a straw was in, in Spanish or something, but nothing from Ortiz. Now, I'm not saying just because he didn't talk, he's going to turn. I don't know. I just got this air from him. What, what do you think about that? And what did you think of, of the promo? I didn't notice he was subdued. Hmm. And I don't know if that's because literally, as you point out, everyone got something to say and he didn't. And maybe he was pissed off. Maybe he was just trying to cut a menacing figure mm -hmm. and the vibe that we both got from him was unintended. All I can say is thank God for Santana because <laughs> he was amazing. Like we talk a lot on this podcast about how lame the word bitch is, right? He can say it every goddamn week. And that's, mm -hmm. I've been talking a lot about the difference. It's become the theme of this podcast somehow. The difference is he can say it. 
he can absolutely get away with saying it. He comes across as the coolest guy within what 30 seconds. That's only how long certain promos need to be. In 30 seconds, I thought, right, strap him up, strap <laughs> yeah. him up, strap him up with the AW world title and have MJF and him have a fight for it. That'd be awesome. That'd be absolutely incredible. Um, that's the beauty of AW because you see these snapshots of these great performers and you just want to project all the stardom onto all of them. Like that's the beauty of this product at the moment. Thank God for him. I think I even liked Hager's a bit more than Jericho's because the idea with Hager is that he's this tit, he's this <laughs> absolute jock moron, like the thickest person in AEW canon, and they know it. They know his energy, and like he's always this boy popper. Like the worse Hager is, the better, if that makes any sense. And of course, it does. I'm saying it. Chris Jericho. Ooh, thank God for Santana because I did not think this is a man preparing for war in this goddamn thing. He did recover it enough in the end. I would not describe this as, as a disaster because Santana in the, the last second, oh, we're gonna, he did well at the very end. But that nursery rhyme was bollocks, totally, tonally off in terms of what they were striving for here. Um there's a difference between bad childish and good childish, right? Because the, the nursery rhyme was bad, bad childish. Good childish was, I, I wiped my ass with that. I, I popped, I can't, I, I can't deny that I popped for that. But even though I popped for that, it's still the tone was not right to do that gag. I think he knew he'd like totally laid an egg and then just dropped in like off the cuff. That line about wiping the ass, because that was funny. Um, but there should be no comedy in this at this point. I don't think we're like two weeks away. Yeah, the song was like, give me that like nightmarish feeling of being in it and wishing I could be out of it, like a crowded lift or something. I was like, oh, like you're only into the second line, like I'm hitting this and then it just carries on and there's nothing you can do to get yourself out of it. Yeah, Santana was as great as Jericho was bad here, I think. I thought it was interesting that of all the weeks to, like he did the bed a little bit here, Chris Jericho, but they might have gotten away with this because it stands in quite good contrast to MJF's promo it's almost like he's suddenly like he's just delivered on all the criticisms that MJF levied at him he's kind of like and he's Ward become like. the cliche and, and Ward like, yeah he's kind of become that like parody figure that cliche that they were suggesting he was so I, I, it'd be generous to say that was completely by design but they can certainly make something of that in the world next week I, yeah without, MJF's without gonna question MJF's gonna put a bullet in that like 100 <laughs> percent yeah um I can't decide if like a like or a hate that they just keep going to like the Google synonyms for ways to set up like conversations and segments and birthdays. Like it's just a nice, nice little punctuation for me personally. Like Paul, Paul at first I thought was like the French version of his wife's favorite app, but then it turns out that it's (laughs) (laughs) turns out that it's spelt with, I saw on the graphic later on, it was spelled instead so they stopped me doing that joke on Twitter which is why I got to do it on the podcast on, you've seen the uh, <laughs> I love that gag but you know the cry <laughs> um, but yeah um, I like did this did this promo get away with it considering the match they're promoting I don't think it did but they'll make good on that next week like MJF will absolutely like like just be merciless in his takedown of this song next week um, I love the Ortiz thing you know because I like that like wasn't something I picked up on this week, but I like how there was always that issue when we were looking for whether, like, was MJF splitting them apart? What was like? There was a proud and powerful element to that once upon a time anyway. So it's really elegant if they've put that here for what's to come, which is 
you know, but maybe not so much. Who seemed to like MGF or was pretending. Yeah, that's true. Thing. That's true. Like maybe not so much joining the pinnacle as it is leaving the inner circle, like not, not liking this kind of we're making amends. We're good guys now, like standing in the ring with this, like arsehole doing show tunes. Like that would be enough to make a guy think about his career, mm. you know, and I, I don't know. There's, there's, there may be a story there, even if it's not going to be told at Blood and Guts. Yeah. Sorry, Ortiz, we haven't got time for you because I've got to get a song out. <laughs> <laughs> also, did you see uh, your Everton fan, Sige? Cup in his ear. I spotted him. Oh, I don't care about him. There he was. That was before the song. Yeah, he's a, yeah. I saw that. I'm <laughs> glad that he's there because I could feel the crowd. And on another note, and I think he wanted Swirly to get over, Chris Jericho, known egomaniac. He loves the crowd being there too much. I can't blame him, but he's loving them too much with the interaction. The, the swirly thing, when he won, when he wants that swirly chant, it reminds me of when Shawn Michaels says HB shizzle. I'm like, oh God, I don't, we all get old and that's horrible. <laughs> like, just extracting that chant from them. It so speaks volumes that you two are like, oh yeah, Parley, like in The Wire. And I'm like, oh yeah, Parley, like in, like in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to QT Marshall versus Billy Gunn. Before the match, Anthony Agogo went, America's a dump, in it? Anyway, but it pays better, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, well, he's not glad to be there. He's just happy to get paid in America. Anyway, I also love a bit before the match, QT Marshall comes out in his new, I don't know, Tony Soprano persona. Billy Gunn goes to him and he goes, oh, bollocks, he's coming. Aaron, get him. Just throws Aaron Solo at him. Uh, so they, they, the match starts. Obviously, Billy Gunn uh, gets the uh, gets the advantage because he's the better wrestler. Um, they brawl out to the floor, and then Nick Comarato is just waiting. He's terrifying, Nick Comarato. Uh, the, 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 the official gets distracted, and Nick obviously leaps on that to a, to to attack Billy Gunn. Uh, that means the Gun Club get involved, and they brawl with uh, with Solo and and Comarato, and they they leave it effectively. It's Cutie Marshall versus Billy Gunn, and I was just thinking. Well, I wonder what time Anthony Gogo is going to get here. And that is exactly what happened. Um, Cutie Marshall thought it was a good idea to mock DX. Billy sort of powered up and murdered him, uh, hit him with clotheslines, hit him with a blue thunderbomb. And then in the midst of all this, uh, the official gets distracted. Out comes Anthony Gogo, as we called. Uh, he hits Billy with a gut punch, and that allows Marshall to hit the diamond cutter to get the one, two, three. Post-match, Cutie Marshall goes into the ring, and I was like, why the bloody hell has he got a wooden chair? And that would all be explained very uh, quickly. Dustin Rhodes come out, loved his face paint. He's got a bloody bull rope. Uh, Dustin Rhodes and Anthony a go-go face off. And then uh, Dustin picks up the uh, picks up the wooden chair to twat QT Marshall with it. Nick Comorato runs out, gets involved in the ring, and <laughs> Dustin just breaks it over his head. Nick Comorato completely no-sells it. His face is a meme already all over Twitter. Uh I really enjoyed this. What do you think, Sage? This match, for as short as it went and given the people involved, was so much more fun and well done than I had any right to be whatsoever. Yeah. I've had problems with them putting Billy Gunn in, frankly, even though it's so minor. And yet, it was fun. I really enjoyed watching them work together. thought this was fun. Nick Comoroto needs to never wear what he wore ever again. <laughs> so distracting. And why would cover up that part you know double wrong double wrong that'll come with experience um i called 
the finish, because I'm good at this. It was the perfect QT Marshall. I think they did this on purpose with the idea of they realize that there's accusations of nepotism. They realize that QT Marshall is just the background dickhead, the builder mop, right, of the, the corrupt dickhead trainer in the idea that it's all bravado, it's all short man syndrome, and he's not short, but you know what I'm getting, that small yeah. man syndrome, like small, a petty little human being. I love the idea that he needs help to win matches because he's, in his head, he's Tony Soprano. He's the big sort of boss, the hard guy, but he isn't, and that is at the core of the character. The real boss, the real hard bastard, is in the stable and it's a go-go. Love that element. Love the characterization of QT Marshall. Love watching a go-go cackling, just breezing through this TV stage. It's just an actual star. The big Bubba Rogers spot was ace. You kind of see it a mile away if you're trained in these things, but, you know, it's still perfectly put over the character. Um, Austin Gunn's energy, great. I love how hyperactive he is, not just in the crowd, but, like, the way that you try to get on Shaq, no. The way he's trying to do things, he's like, he plays the impetuous rookie. And I don't know if it's a deliberate choice or whether it's just his energy. Either way, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the segment of TV. Yeah, me too. Um, like super economical. If, if you sort of think about what like Sidwick's just mentioned there, super economical at how they got so much in to a relatively short amount of time. We've talked a lot about, um, not an inability, but a lot of the time, just not having the chance to feature all the storylines or all the wrestlers. And then some stuff's been happening on dark and you don't even get a video package. And it's like, you know, you've just got the commentary team telling you, well, this has happened on dark. And, oh, that would have been nice to catch like 10 seconds of that. Mm. This is sort of the perfect example of how you transpose that onto a dynamite. Loads and loads of characters featured, but all of them served a purpose. You had like, and, and one of those purposes was to obscure the fact that this wouldn't have been a very good match otherwise. You know, like Keaton Marshall versus Billy Gunn, as you pointed out on the preview, Wilborn, it's the sort of thing you'd be like, what the frig is this doing on a dynamite? Whereas you barely had time to think about that as they were fighting because of the involvement of every other wrestler, of everybody else and all they were doing. And um, the whole thing, the factory as a as a sort of vehicle for a go-go is just tremendous um, because they can do versions of this finish over and over and over again while giving it a go-go squash once every six or seven weeks. So you're never going to overexpose a go-go as a wrestler, but you're going to see this weapon of his over and over again. It's going to be ideal. Yeah, the um, the wooden chair coming out, I already felt like as loving a tribute to JCP as anything mm -hmm. Pinnacle have done before it even got smashed into a million pieces. Um, Komoroto is brilliant for that sort of spot because what this did very, like... This very carefully showed you the different ways that you should take the factory serious. Um, yes, QT Marshall is a wannabe Tony Soprano, and and like every bit of the wannabe as well because he's he's not Tony Soprano. But he, like, look at the people he's got to back him up. We haven't yet seen much from Aaron Solo, but like, look what Comoro, like look at Comoroto, but look at also what he can absorb, yeah. and look at what Agogo's got in the chamber at any given moment, like. You may not like or respect Keaty Marshall as a wrestler, but he's becoming a figure worthy of fear. And you need that because they're going to be going up against like a gang headed up by Cody Rhodes ultimately. So you've got to, it'd be like, you've got to make that believable. And 
beyond the, the feud with the Rhodes family and, and Cody and Dustin and all that sort of stuff, they then got to, you know, this has sort of been an issue with Cody opponents in singles matches. They've got to survive on this roster after that defeat. And I think this is a great way to do that. Like you build these guys up that even if they're ultimately to lose to the baby faces in the end of this little civil war, long-term, you've established heels as credible threats. And I just, I'd take weeks of matches like this. Um, yeah, just super economical you see television that gets so many characters over in such a short burst. Uh, so then we cut to the elite in their ridiculous personal tra- trailer. Uh, Don Callis introduces everyone and then introduces Kenny Omega as the soon-to-be Impact champion. Of course, he challenges Rich Swan uh, at Rebellion on Sunday. Matt Jackson cuts a promo talking about uh, the elite and how they're the reason that the business went up in Japan and the T-shirt sales and uh, the fact it's called All Elite Wrestling. And then we go to Kenny Omega, who can't get his words out because there's someone bloody honking outside the trailer. And he just stop, start, stop, start. And they go, can we just find out what on earth that is? Of course, it is John Moxley and Eddie Kingston in a bloody pickup truck who rams into and destroys the trailer, jumps out, they've got a pipe, they're going to murder all of the elite, uh, but they go in and uh, the elite are nowhere to be found. They've escaped through a, a different door. Um, I think Eddie Kingston tries to steal some trainers. Uh, John Moxley throws a pipe through a window. I particularly like it. Well, he smashed the window with the pipe, and then later on, he threw the pipe through a window. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if this was slightly before or slightly after he said the word bitch AF. <laughs> And then he throws the pipe through the window in Kingston because, you know, they're not just like, we're trying to look hard here. Look, Kingston's like, Jesus, you couldn't tell me to get out of the way. But he's glass shining everywhere. I just, I love the the, the interactions between those two. Uh, and uh, yeah, just, a, just a, a fantastic bit of television, this pamphlet. Elements of this were good, the more improvised it became. Hmm. Um, the, well, look, just for a second, like, not that he, yeah, I'm not saying this was a red wagon on Mitch the plant, but just for a second, John Moxley had to be a little bit Dean Ambrose. And I was like, oh, I don't need that. And then sure enough, by the end, it's he's been John Moxley again and he's been Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston going for the shoes is absolutely amazing. They've got these Dior Jordans, though, fantastically well. Um, love the young books in this gimmick, by the way. They look exactly like the type of people that would be horrible to my friends in real life. And that's what I want to hate them for. Um, and I just, like, other than that, I'm not as into this as I should be. I love the Young Bucks last week. Amazing transformation. Totally erased any of the memories of the awful melodrama from the week before. Bang into the Moxley Kingston tag title match because that is me giving this direction. Still feels a bit big and a little bit aimless. And like these are the kind of house, like the elite of this group that are kind of bothersome in AEW. But like, like I'm going to decide to focus upon. Kenny Mega, the belt collector, and Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, challenging for the tag titles to pull it together a little bit. I'm sure a couple of double or nothing match graphics will work wonders for this because I still think that, like the whole elite stuff still feels a little bit unfocused for me. Um, elements of this were a bit too like bit too big, bit too broad, but Moxley and Kingston pulled it around by the end. My succinct summary take, which I'll give before I go in depth, is this is a really good Dean Ambrose segment. <laughs> I had the exact same um, thought going through my head as my esteemed colleague here. Here's the thing. If I'm going to be succinct about it for once, I would also describe this as like almost impossible to hate, right? Because if you're a pedantic tit like me, you think about these things too much. Or maybe I'm not thinking about them too much. I'm thinking about them the adequate amount for a professional wrestling show 
that is worthy of not being this contrived thing because it's pro wrestling, this thing that for years has existed for like low income media to think it's real. Like, no, wrestling could be more than this. This is an incredibly entertaining version, albeit with a massive plot hole, of the pro wrestling that I kind of hoped AEW was leaving behind. And what I mean by impossible to hate, right, is that for this to work, you have to think, right, did they see, were they watching the show and they saw their big elite trailer, which is the first time we've seen it, right? And think, we've got about an hour before the segment probably takes place. We might miss the segment. We've got, have we got time to hire a monster truck? <laughs> <laughs> what this essentially was. Or they've gone to Daly's place earlier in the day and thought, bash that up with a monster truck and hopefully it gets captured on telly. Like there's all sorts <laughs> of contrived things going on. And yet, when you think, how do they go and hire a monster truck? I would absolutely bloody love to go and watch John Moxley and Eddie Kingston go to a monster truck thing. Yeah. <laughs> like the, convers- the conversation would be funnier than the spot, wouldn't it? Like I'd love the- to see that. So even in headcanon, this thing rewards you. And it's just all like John Moxley and Eddie Kingston could go to the Thunderdome and do entertaining stuff. Like that's <laughs> how good they are together. Ah, that's not going nuts. That would still be crap. But <laughs> just the, you could have waited until I got out of the way. Like just these little, ah, oh, they're the best, man. Like, I know it's the take. Oh, I'd love to see him with a buddy cop. Like, I literally want someone to script an option, a motion picture starring these two men. Uh, next, it was Christian Cage versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Understandably, early on, Powerhouse Hobbs had the, the match in control because he outpowered Christian Cage. He pointed him out onto the ramp. They... They brawl to the outside. He sends Christian over, over the barricade. He exposes the, the guardrail. He shoves Christian's face into it. Uh, eventually, uh, Christian gets gets the upper hand. And, uh, oh, nice to see you've got the uh, the upper hand there, Christian. It'd be a shame if someone spine-busted you out of nowhere. Jesus, that would shake his bones. Uh, Christian tries for a spear and Hobbs just goes, nah, nah. body block, corner hip attack. Uh, Christian tries to, he's, you know, he's, he's desperate against uh, Powerhouse Hobbs because look at the bloody size of him. Uh, he goes for a sleeper, but Hobbs transitions it into, I think it's called town business. I think that's what they shouted. Uh, and then Hobbs, as he alluded to in the road to, just lovely stuff here, talked about when he was a child growing up, copying Christian's poses. He does Christian's pose as he's setting up for his finish. That allows Christian to reverse kill switch. One, two, three. Post-match, Ricky Stocks, still selling the ankle because this company actually has a brain, limps down, checks on Hobbs. Just a little glance at Christian and my cock explodes. Uh, but what did you think of the match, <laughs> Michael Sidgwick? Kisses, flowers. Oh, my. The craft of this was great. I think it was David Bixen's man and pointed this out on Twitter because I never want to be accused of plagiarism, but I had the same thought independently. The match with Kazarian was probably quote unquote better. I enjoyed this far more for what it did for each mm. character and for how well it flew and for how short it was. I didn't reach for this, like Christian needs a really good match. So let's put him in one. Like this further story, this got the best out of both men. This basically told the story of Christian is completely overwhelmed by the power game of this dude, but he's much older, much smarter, and he can 
completely capitalize on rookie mistakes like the arsehole heel being an arsehole and getting overconfident and then he was punished for it in the end and the match was so much more exciting than all of that functional mm. critique reads um, the spine buster spot was so well built and it's just like Christian's an architect like you'll give your spots like that and just completely blow your mind even after you watch four or five six minutes of something really good this and then he does that it's just what mentally he can do to build these matches. I loved Jim Ross getting shown up by Taz on commentary because it's been a long time coming. That's a power bomb. That's a spine buster. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of things, Taz. And he's like, no, it's a spine buster. Because Jim Ross like will bury people for botching on TV, which is a bad thing to do in itself, but he kind of take it. Mm. He dish it out, but he can't take it. So loved. loved that. Um, loved all this. Really loved it all. Um, I think there'll come a point where, because, yeah, architect is the word for Christian, and because of that, you kind of need to give him around 10 minutes all the time for the television matches. I have a feeling that there's going to come a point where Christian's going to have about six or seven 10-minute television matches that are the better side of good, but not great, which is what this was. Like, just as a match, like, I really enjoyed it, like, personally, but I think objectively... Um, it probably wasn't quite as it wasn't quite as flashy as the Kaz match, and there'll be other ones like this, I think, you know. Um, but it's and I think that'll generate a bit of criticism towards Christian Cage and maybe to AW's like promotion of Christian. I've ever sought out a powerhouse house. Well, like, yeah, and that was what I was gonna say. Like, I think he's gonna bring loads out of every one of these opponents, and it's gonna inform the story like they're gonna show rather than tell Christian walking at the ring and saying outwork everyone and wearing a t-shirt that nobody's going to buy with those words on it like it's kind of bland and all talk now he's going to show it for maybe six or seven weeks we're going to see matches like this and they're going to underwhelm some um but it's range it's having something for everybody on a show that shows you that it can have something for everybody it's going to inform christian's story and he's going to get a like a seven and oh record or something like that and people are going to start having the you make a conversation more seriously for that one time that you picked up the belt. Uh, and it's going to be earned because you're going to have, like each one is going to have been a building brick back in re-establishing Christian's aura as a guy that can outwork everybody. Uh, the, the spot for the finish is my favourite thing about this. Like we talked to like he's going to, he's always going to have a way to outthink his opponent. And in this case, it was like the youthful exuberance of Hobbs getting to do his pose that, you know, as you pointed out, was built to. It wasn't just thrown out for the benefit of the match, which would have been fine. It was actually built to. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think you have to enjoy these. Like you have to try and enjoy the artfulness and elegance of a Christian match, while also seeing the bigger picture of what they provide. Um, maybe that's too big an ask. Maybe that is one more one more for the purists, or one you know one for the reviewers perhaps. But I think like there's going to come a point where he's going to win a title, or he's going to win like a major main event, or even just sell a pay per view, and that's going to be the true reward and the two fruits of this labour. Talked about his facials in the Kaz match, and obviously had great facials here as well. I also want to put over inexplicably his hair. His hair looks like he's been chopped around by someone like Powerhouse Hobbs <laughs> alongside his face, just being like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> you love hair. I love hair stuff. <laughs> Me and Andy were talking on the news today about teeth stuff, hair stuff, neck stuff, teeth stuff. Uh, all right, let's get on to the main event for the TNT Championship. Speaking of hair stuff, Darby Allen versus 
jungle boy again like i said earlier just a real struggle this uh a wild conclusion to dynamite we had uh, jungle boy tackling uh alan over the barricade into the ringside seating area as they fought to the floor uh uh darby allen avoids a rebound larry it hits a stunner for a two count jungle boy fights out of a corner attack and hits some mad i don't even know what it was it's like body body scissors horror, i don't i don't know Go back and watch it because I, I've watched it about three times. And I still don't really know what it was. Uh, Jungle Boy keeps hitting topes out of the ring. He tries to suplex Darby Allen back into the ring. But Darby Allen gets a guillotine. He then hits a bloody coffin drop on the soddy apron. Uh, they're both, you know, struggling to get back in. As he's doing that, Luchasaurus, he, he doesn't, you know, chop Jungle Boy back in, but he certainly aids him getting back in to break that or to make it before the 10 count. Sting's not happy. Pick a fight. They brawl at the top and then they they hug as they walk down the tunnel, effectively. Um, Jungle Boy hits a lariat, brain buster, running elbow. Then he puts him in the snare trap and they're struggling, struggling, struggling. Darby Allen gets to the ropes, but then Jungle Boy pulls him back in, reapplies it. Darby Allen goes for the sodding eyes to make sure he gets out of it. Jungle Boy uh, still trying to, he's still in control, ground and pound, or in the words of Michael Cole, pound and ground from WrestleMania. <laughs> Uh, sunset flip but Darby Allen cradles him just snatches it one two three Jungle Boy yet again so close but so far uh, from winning the TNT championship post-match in comes Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page murder both of them uh, Page hits Allen with this huge ego's edge Lance Archer runs down to make the save they beat down Archer after they hit him with a low blow. And then Sting comes out with a baseball bat to chase them off. A breathless conclusion to Dynamite. But what do you think of the TNT Championship match itself, Michael Sidgwick? I thought this was awesome. It was an outstanding match. And I'm telling you now, Darby Allen is a top five global worker for me. His, it's just an atmosphere in his matches. And you talked about the struggle. Everything feels so charged. And I've said this several times before against virtually every single opponent, it really feels like, oh, he's the one that you hate. I honestly felt that was he yeah. or something with Starks, or the two guys who really don't get along. He brings a sense of animosity to matches that are also spectacular in the much-needed sort of what modern wrestling needs to be to get over. He's just amazing at this. He's amazing at this. And there was a goddamn moment where I could honestly think only of Michael Hamflet when Jungle Boy having forced to release the hold because Darby Allen was pulling at his hair, just slapped him full force, not like almost in the face. That wasn't a clean, just in the head. Yeah. <laughs> For doing that knob. Great spot. And I tell you now, this goddamn company at its best is even better than I describe it as. The parallels between how Darby Allen approached this match with Cody's first TNT title run if you look at the connection formed throughout the, the very inception almost of the company between Cody and Darby Allen, it's all so goddamn impeccable. Darby Allen traceably has gone from spirited upstart, <laughs> yeah, working a kind of just with an attitude and a style and a look that even WWE's greedy latter day recruitment model just passed by and he's too reckless or too weird, he can't talk or whatever. And he's become in the ring. Did you see his promo on Dark Elevation? It was a minute long. It was awesome. This is Darby Allen. I, I, the reason why he does silent films is because he can't talk. 
And that's fine because it's a new, unique, creative way of promoting and building a match, which has gotten over to like demo rating and success nowadays. He's on fire at the minute, that lad. And this match and the role he played in it and how it marries with his arc and the gosh, that was awesome. All of it was awesome. Apart from seeing Luchasaurus, I want to see them two fight, much less fight horrendously. <laughs> Sting can take a week off for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, on fire is is exactly right. Um, he just he feels like a guy that is unstoppable at the moment. There's a real um, I don't think he can go without mention. It's it's commonly placed into matches to tell a story about the guy using heel tricks. The babyface has to use a couple of heel tricks or do it, be a bit heelish to, to get the win. Um, just because it's done a lot, it doesn't mean that it's always done well. Um, and the Cody comparison stuck out to me for how well Cody did it when he was defending that TNT title as well, because he kind of adapted to the circumstances brilliantly in very like small ways. It's got to feel earned. It's got to feel like Darby Allen doesn't want to particularly betray his code, but is prepared to go as close to his own personal line as possible without doing that. Um, one of my favourite ever examples of that was Asuka pushing the ref against Ember Moon. Mm-hmm. Like, she rationalised it just enough in that split second to do, a, to do a thing. It's got to feel so earned, and Darby Allen, like, just this match did a great job of that, and Darby Allen performed that really well as well. Um, the wins he's backing up, the numbers that are kind of supporting his success. I pitched this on Twitter today. Like, I want them to run Kenny Omega versus Darby Allen, Like, belt collector versus proper defending champion. Uh, you could double or nothing is even a pay-per-view title that lends itself to that idea um, because you would not want to bet against Darby Allen winning and that would be the magic of it because he's in that kind of level of form at the moment. Um, the JR thing, it was funny you mentioned it the last match because he did it here with Excalibur. Excalibur, oh my God, it's Icon versus Dinosaur. And JR, huh, right, go with the Icon. It's like, oh great, you just buried Luchasaurus then. That's fantastic. Cool, 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 cool. Like... <laughs> Like, like that because that, that brawl was a bit silly so Excalibur steps in to try and legitimise it and you get that instead um, really liked the finish like like Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page um, they're walking a bit of a tightrope about how credible and dangerous these feel as heels but they are tied to the story they were sat there in the stands last week they at least exist in the orbit of these wrestlers even if they maybe don't feel on the level yet inserting them here is maybe how you get them there. So I can't even, like, it didn't feel as big time as the match. Like, the beatdown didn't feel as big as the match had just happened. It wasn't that sort of, you've just had a big thing, and now we're going to sell you a bigger thing, which is sort of wrestling perfected. It wasn't that, but I can't hate their attempt. You know, I can't hate this idea that you folded them into the story last week, you bring them in in a more physical way this week, you set up a six-man, or, you know, the subsequent tag matches to follow. Like, I can't be angry with that at all. That's just good episodic television booking and it might work you know Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page might get over as a, as a proper concern off the back of this um, the match was class I'm itching I'm itching for Jungle Boy to get a big win sometime mm-hmm. um, but it, it wasn't to be here like I'm not saying that this should have been it but like they're, they're making me like kind of like yearn for that Jungle Boy win so I hope that's in the back of them the back of the minds just sooner rather than later we bought Baltimore and they love him so I've got mm-hmm. no doubt that it's going to happen one more thing before we sign off. My God. This is functional, but like sometimes it's so perfect. The way they've built the snare trap. I thought, yeah. he's going to win. He's going to win. Yeah. I thought he's going to win. Just awesome. Awesome stuff all around this. 
Yeah, really, really good and uh, a yeah, thrilling conclusion to the show. Let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Oh, actually, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Um, Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, this weekend, myself and Michael Sidgwick will be talking more things. AEW, very intriguing. See what number comes out tonight, of course. Um, but make sure you subscribe for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. Hopefully it will go up earlier than the preview did yesterday. My thanks to the Dudley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.